The conditions have got a lot worse as the day has gone on. A skier and snowboarder stranded on Cyprus face a second night in the cold. What search and rescue may have to do to save them. Plus, as BC's vaccine rollout ramps up, the signs we may be headed for a third wave in the pandemic. And... He was just out of it. And in fact, it took him 18 hours to fully recover. Pets overdosing on pot. What may be behind spiking cases and the warning to their unsuspecting owners. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with a developing story tonight. After an all-day search hampered by bad weather and dangerous conditions, a skier and snowboarder lost on Cypress Mountain overnight have finally been located. Paul Johnson joins us live from Cypress with the latest. Paul, what's happening? Well, Colleen, they've got two options at this point. Option number one is to try to get their chopper in low enough so they can drop a line down to the two men and extract them before nightfall. This is obviously complicated, though, by the conditions. It's been snowing heavily all day. It's still snowing right now, and they've probably only got about an hour of daylight left to work with. If that doesn't work, option two is they're going to try to drop a survival package down to them that would have sleeping bags, food, and a radio, and they would try again tomorrow. This has been a very challenging search happening all day today, complicated by the fact that they just had no idea where these guys were. So locating them was a huge victory. Checking equipment, gearing up and heading out. It was a race against time at Cypress Resort Sunday. The first sign of trouble was a call made by a loved one late Saturday night that two men, a 38-year-old and a 42-year-old, hadn't returned from a day of skiing and snowboarding. Then the discovery of a vehicle left overnight in the parking lot confirmed the emergency. Not a good place. Not a good place. Not at all. Yeah, but when, uh... North Shore Rescue thought the pair were lost in an area of steep gullies east of the resort. Well, they've got a lot of experience searching in that area. The avalanche threat made it too dangerous for a full-on ground search. And a heavy spring snowfall meant their chopper couldn't be used effectively until late Sunday afternoon when they got a break. The helicopter has been down most of the day, but they saw a bit of a clearing and uh, they got up and uh, they've gone up as far as they can. And uh, in fact, it's not the Australian gully, it's the one over the Tony Baker is where they spotted these two guys who are, uh, seem to be upright and walking, um, so uh, that's good. Unfortunately, they are in a dangerous uh, area for avalanches. So we obviously don't yet know why these two men ended up where they currently are, but we were talking to the search and rescue people today, and they say as they were conducting this search, they saw a lot of trails of people, clearly skiers and snowboarders from Cyprus, who'd gone under the ropes to go into the out-of-bounds area. This is something that constantly happens at this resort and many resorts across the province. The search and rescue people are always warning people to stay within bounds, but people keep doing it. Colleen. So true. Paul, thank you. And the age-based COVID vaccine rollout across the province is accelerating again this week. As of Saturday, those 79 and older, as well as Indigenous people 55 and older, have been allowed to book an appointment to be vaccinated. Tomorrow, starting at noon, those 78 and older will be allowed to book their shots. 
On Tuesday, people turning 77 this year can make their appointments. On Thursday, that age drops to 76. And by Saturday, March 27th, those turning 75 can book their first dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. The goal is to inoculate those between 79 and 65 in the month of April. On Friday, the health ministry said more than 490,000 people have already been vaccinated, with more than 87,000 of those being second doses. And now some seniors have contacted us to say they've been able to make bookings ahead of schedule for their age cohorts, but health officials have not explained why that's happening. Well, regardless of the vaccinations, we could hit a critical point in BC's pandemic this week based on the current case numbers. Keith Baldry joins us with more on that. And Keith, what are the indications we may be headed for a full-blown third wave? Yeah, increasingly people right around the world are talking about that third wave calling. We seem to have peaked in our worst numbers in sort of late November, early December, mid-December. Then we started to get those numbers down until about mid or to early February. Since then, though, the numbers have been climbing on all sorts of indicators. Here's where we are at on Friday going into uh, the weekend. Our daily case average is now the highest since January 12th. Our active case is the highest since January 14th. Hospitalizations continue to inch up again, the highest since February 2nd and ICU cases are also the highest in number since December 18th. So this is very troubling going into the, uh, this week, Colleen, as our daily case numbers continue to go up. Hopefully the hospitalizations which, and the ICU numbers um, don't continue to climb. The only really good news, well, there's a couple of good news. Our, the number of people dying is less now than it was a few months ago. Our mortality rate has really declined, largely because of so many people being vaccinated in long-term care homes. And you mentioned vaccinations off the top. That is some good news. A little more than 400,000 people have had at least one dose. We want to get perhaps 10% of the target could be vaccinated this weekend, which would be 430,000 people with at least one dose. We'll get those numbers tomorrow. Exactly. All right. Thanks so much, Keith. A rare weekend public appeal from homicide investigators today to help solve a Fraser Valley murder. Police are releasing the identity of the man killed in Abbotsford this month in hopes of generating tips into his sudden death. Grace Key has more from Abbotsford. According to neighbors we spoke with, paramedics treated the man outside in this area and there was blood on the street. None of the neighbors we spoke with say that they recognized the individual. So he has been identified as 51-year-old Jeevan Singh Saul of Abbotsford. They say his death is not connected to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict. The incident dates back to March 3rd. Emergency crews responded to a 911 hang-up in the 32,000 block of Slocan Drive. An injured man was located located and transported to hospital. He died of his injuries on the 14th. There were people in the home at the time of the incident. They have been identified. No arrests have been made. IHIT is looking for additional witnesses. We would like to speak with anyone who was in this very specific area, the 32,000 block of Slocan Drive in Abbotsford on March 3rd between 10.30 a.m. and 1 p.m. Maybe anyone driving by with dash cam footage uh, out for a walk, perhaps somebody walking their dog. Police believe this is an isolated incident between parties known to each other. In Abbotsford, Grace Key, Global News. The RCMP in the Okanagan are investigating what appears to be two separate shootings today, one of them fatal. A man was shot to death in West Kelowna early this morning. It forced the closure of Highway 97 for hours. Police have issued a statement to say the attack has all the characteristics of a targeted shooting. 
No other information, including the identity of the victim or any suspects, has been released. Investigators are looking for any information from witnesses who may have been in the area between 3.30 and 4.30 this morning, particularly those with dash cam footage. On the other side of the bridge in Rutland, a woman was taken to hospital following an early morning shooting. RCMP say their officers were called to Kelowna General Hospital at about 6 a.m. when the woman arrived to be treated for serious gunshot wounds. Police say the shooting took place in the 100 block of Prior Road South. Investigators are also appealing for any witnesses to come forward in this case. On this International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, the calls are growing louder to halt the increasing number of anti-East Asian attacks around the world. It comes in the wake of an attack in an Atlanta-area spa that left eight people dead, including six East Asian Americans. As Imad Agahi reports, East Asian Canadians also can't escape the impact of the rising sentiment of hate. We don't want to be treated like this. We don't want to have to be afraid um, in our everyday lives. There's frustration, and if there was any hope, it's getting harder to hold on to. There's fear among the Chinese community. The gunman who went on what police describe as a shooting spree Tuesday in Atlanta is charged with the death of eight people, including six women of Asian descent. Sadly, as awful as the attack itself may have been, the reaction from a community who feels threatened by it is not one of surprise. You know, in the context of the uh, wave of anti-Asian racism across North America, it was a, a shocking, you know, development. But not surprising when you look at all, all that has happened. And it's really struck a chord with Asian women uh, throughout North America and around the world. Um, I think we're fearful. Anti-Asian hate crimes in Vancouver went up more than 700% last year. Many think more cases are happening every day. And of those, the majority unreported. People don't, don't talk about it because most of the Chinese people, they are kind of uh, timid and they don't like to make noise. Rallies against Asian hate are taking place in cities across North America, like this one in Pittsburgh. Where Canadian actress Sandra Oh gave an impassioned speech. Will you help me? With the world watching, local police in Atlanta try and decipher a motive for the deadly attack. There's also a growing movement attempting to use the magnitude of this incident as an opportunity to be heard and ignite change. Amadegahi, Global News. Well, talk about an expensive traffic ticket. A luxury SUV has been forfeited following a dangerous driving investigation on Vancouver Island. Last June, a police officer conducting speed enforcement on Highway 17 near Saanich clocked a Maserati Levant going 110 kilometers an hour in an 80K zone. When he flagged the SUV down, its driver allegedly accelerated towards him, almost hitting him. Days later, the vehicle was seized by Victoria Police as property linked to dangerous driving. A search warrant found drugs in the SUV. Its registered owner was ticketed for excessive speeding and failing to stop for police. The SUV has been repossessed by the bank.
Bank earlier this year. Well, support is growing for Pathways Addictions Resource Center in Penticton, and political pressure is mounting in the wake of Interior Health's decision in, to pull the center's funding. Shelby Tom has the latest, including Interior Health's defense of the controversial move, which has Pathways officials up in arms. Dozens of supporters rallied Sunday to save Pathways Addictions Resource Center from possible closure. I just want to see Pathways stay. I really do. I think that they should keep Pathways open and um, give them a chance. Pathways has been a cornerstone in Penticton for 47 years, offering a myriad of mental health and addictions programming. The nonprofit has been funded by Interior Health for the past two decades, supporting 1,000 clients a year. But Interior Health now plans to pull the center's funding to bring the substance use services in-house. I think Pathways has done a fantastic job of 47 years, and I don't think IH should just come in and take over. Political pressure is also mounting the controversy fodder for the opposition BC Liberals in question period. For 20 years, Pathways has delivered critical services. This nonprofit is being forced to close because this government decides it knows best. This is an expansion of service, which is just what our government is committed to. Penticton's MLA says his office has been flooded with correspondence from concerned citizens. Biggest issue that I've had to deal with inside of our um, constituency office since I got elected. Um, what I'm hearing from is the families, I'm hearing from loved ones who have had incredible success for their spouses or their children um, with Pathways. After weeks of public pressure, Interior Health CEO Susan Brown released this op-ed Friday that says in part, the current model and services contracted through Pathways is preventing people from accessing the full range of available supports and a challenge with the Pathways contract was the inability to track client progression and know whether people might be falling through the cracks. We had hoped this would be an amicable um, transition. We had hoped that we'd be able to work closely with IH and make things as smooth as possible. It's bullying tactics. Back here at the rally, supporters say they plan to demonstrate every Sunday to keep this issue in the public spotlight as Pathways fundraises to try to keep its doors open. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. Fraser Health has issued a warning this weekend after a spike in drug overdoses in Chilliwack. The health region says in the past day there have been an increase in ODs that may be tied to a bluish-green substance being sold as fentanyl. That substance may be contaminated with benzodiazepine, meaning naloxone may not fully reverse the effects of an overdose. It's another reminder for users not to use alone and to seek out supervised services wherever possible. The MLA for Victoria Bacon Hill is taking a step back from some of her duties in order to care for her little boy who is seriously ill. Grace Lohr posted to social media today saying that in February, doctors found a brain tumor in her four-year-old son, Asher. She's now taking time to care for him and her family. Lore adds she'll remain as MLA, but will rely on her staff, the public service, and colleagues to assist in those ridings. In her riding, Lore was elected last year and is the parliamentary secretary for gender equity and a member of the Select Standing Committee on Finance and Government Services. A North Vancouver dog owner says it's high time for change after both her pets became sick from accidentally ingesting pot in the last year. 
Kristen Robinson has more on why one vet says he's seeing an increase in THC toxicity cases and the advice for cannabis connoisseurs who like to consume outdoors. Kathy Tostenson's two golden retrievers can't get enough treats. Good boy. So when five-year-old Wilson wasn't interested in eating after a recent walk. When I called uh, Wilson over for a snack, he was on the couch and his head was swaying from side to side. He was very disoriented. She knew something was wrong and had a pretty good idea of what it was. It was terrifying and very, very upsetting because we had seen the same situation happen with our dog Mia the year before. Wilson was rushed to an emergency vet where staff tested his urine and ran a rapid response drug test. You could see Wilson, he was shaking and he was trembling and he could barely stand on his own, you know, his feet. And when we actually took him to the hospital, he had to be carried in. Wilson had ingested THC, the chemical compound found in cannabis, which can be extremely toxic for pets. Mia had the same experience when she was 12 months old. And it's just so upsetting. They don't understand what is going on. Mountainside Animal Hospital says it's seeing an up to 20% spike in cases of THC toxicity since cannabis was legalized in October 2018. People aren't always thinking the best when they're taking edibles uh, or smoking, so that they're not really thinking about what they're doing with their roach or the end of their, their cigarette. And in parks especially, it's very easy just to drop it on the path or, or not put it in the, in the garbage. He was just out of it, and in fact, it took him 18 hours to fully recover. Wilson has now recovered from the long and painful trip he didn't need to take. Tostenson urging pot smokers and edible partakers to properly dispose of their leftover high so it's not passed on to any unsuspecting pets. You have a responsibility to pick up and take your roaches or edibles with you. We need to do it for our, our beloved pets before one of them actually gets very, very sick and sadly dies. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Comox Valley RCMP and the coroner are investigating after an elderly man died in a house fire and firefighters say his death was preventable. At around 9 o'clock Friday night, Comox fire crews were called to a burning home in the 2100 block of Downey Avenue. An 87-year-old man was found inside. First responders tried to save him, but he died at the scene. Fire officials say the victim had been using space heaters to keep warm and the home had no working smoke alarms, which they believe may have saved his life. The fire is not believed to be suspicious. A large emergency response in Vancouver's Falls Creek last night when a boat caught fire. Fire crews were called to Fisherman's Wharf at around 10 o'clock. Vancouver Fire Rescue Service says a private vessel's wheelhouse was heavily damaged by smoke and flames, but no injuries were reported. The fire appears to be accidental, but the cause remains under investigation. A vacant house near East 10th and Renfrew in Vancouver caught fire early this morning. Firefighters were called to the property just after 4.30. Crews found the gar garage fully involved by the time they arrived on scene, but were able to knock down the flames quickly. No word yet on a cause. Just a day into spring and a top fire official's a uh, top fire official, that is, in West Kelowna, is predicting a busier-than-normal fire season. It's just that feeling I have. It's just shaping up to be another busy fire season. When you start having grass fires in March, uh, early March, it tends to lead to a, to a busier season. And there have been several grass fires in the region already this month, including two in West Kelowna Saturday afternoon. 
One of them was started by a discarded cigarette butt. And that has West Kelowna Fire Chief Pat Hermata preaching common sense to anyone heading out into the backcountry in the coming months. Be safe out in the, in the backcountry. Uh, avoid any smoking, any uh, flammable uh, activity in the backcountry. Make sure if you're, if you're using um, outdoor recreational vehicles in the backcountry that they're, they're well maintained and serviced. Uh, to avoid sparks and, and things like that coming from those. And if you notice a wildfire, please contact uh, emergency services immediately and we'll see what we can do to attend to it. Some good news for people with disabilities who feared they'd lost funding giving them access to accessible reading materials. Mark Lati has been using the Centre for Equitable Library Access for years, but the platform, along with the National Network for Equitable Library Service, was in jeopardy due to funding cuts from the federal government. But the minister responsible, Carla Qualtro, has restored $1 million in funding, so those services will remain for another year. And there are talks planned to try to obtain more long-term sustainable funding. A BC dog has earned a very special title. Good job, Dennis. Thank you. That is Dennis at work at a small local ski hill in southeastern BC. Always eager, Dennis sometimes fetches the T-bar when snowboarders need a lift. The snow dog was recognized as best wolf by the Instagram account with the same name, which deemed Dennis the hardest working employee on the slopes. We want to wish Dennis congratulations. Okay, we have some breaking news and an update to our top story. The rescue of a skier and snowboarder lost on Cypress Mountain. Paul Johnson joins us from Cypress Mountain with the latest. Paul. Yeah, Colleen, uh, this just broke. We're hearing from North Shore Rescue that the two missing men have now been airlifted by chopper off of the mountain and presumably they're en route to safety, probably a checkup in the hospital. And evidently this happened just in the nick of time. We were told that the helicopter could probably only operate safely until about seven o'clock. So if they weren't able to have gotten them at that point, they were gonna have to spend a second night out here on this very cold, snowy mountain. Their intention was that they were going to drop a rescue package down to them, but they won't have to do any of that now. The two men, a 38-year-old, a 42-year-old, missing since last night, have now been rescued and are en route to safety. Good Holly. news indeed. Thanks, Paul. In just a few hours, Michael Kovrig, charged with espionage, will face a judge in Beijing. And like the trial for Michael Spavor, no Canadian officials will be allowed in court to watch the proceedings. The arrest of the two Canadians is widely seen as retribution for the detention of Meng Wanzhou and YVR at the request of the U.S. Abigail Beeman has more. The Canadian government tells Global News China has made it clear our consular officials will not be allowed inside the courtroom for Michael Kovrig's trial, like in Michael Spavor's case. Global Affairs Canada says China is obligated to provide access under the terms of the bilateral consular agreement, and Canada remains, quote, deeply troubled by the lack of transparency surrounding these proceedings. China has maintained these trials are closed door because they deal with matters of national security. The men face espionage charges. China watchers expect Kovrig's hearing to unfold similarly to Spavor's. His took just two hours. And while there is no verdict yet for 
for Spavor. More than 99% of cases in China result in a conviction. On Friday, close to a dozen diplomats from a number of countries showed their support in Dandong, standing side by side with Canadian officials. Kovrig's trial is taking place in a different location. Being in Beijing, where all of the embassies are, we may see more. Um, unless Beijing cracks down on um, people standing in public on the sidewalk. The Canadian government maintains the best path forward is through multilateral work with other allies, while some say it's time for Canada to get tougher on China. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Canadian Pacific Railway has announced today it's buying Kansas City Southern for $25 billion. The acquisition will create the first ever Canada-U.S.-Mexico railroad, something CP Rail says will make trade between the three countries that much easier. The deal still requires approval from a U.S. regulator. The company says they expect the process to take until mid-2022. This was the scene in Miami Beach, Florida last night as police began enforcing an 8 o'clock curfew. Spring break partiers ran from the entertainment district as law enforcement arrived on the scene. The city is enforcing a slew of other measures, including highway shutdowns. The state of emergency may last three weeks. Officials are as concerned about violence as the spread of COVID. Police say crowds, spring break crowds rather, have been particularly rowdy this season. An erupting volcano in Iceland is attracting visitors who want to see the spectacular lava flow, and that may be a problem. It erupted on Friday after being dormant for almost 800 years and has continued to send streams of lava flowing across a small valley. Officials now worry visitors aren't well equipped to be at the site and are not aware of the risks posed by the molten lava. I proudly present to you an Aggie a graduate of 1943, recognized on this day, March 18th, 2021. Uh, proof it's never too late to fulfill your dreams. World War II veteran Ray Schaefer was surprised this week when he was awarded his high school diploma 78 years after he graduated. He'd say things like, well, I wish I had a high school diploma. But I was just too dumb. I, I didn't get it. And it's like that wasn't the case at all. He went, he quit school to support his family. It's great. And on the other end of the spectrum, the amazing artist who's proving you're never too young to make a contribution. We'll have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, I have a funny feeling you're going to love the artwork that you're about <laughs> to see from this boy. He's really amazing. I can't wait. Uh, first off, though, it was a mixed bag today. Depending mm. on where you were across Metro Vancouver, higher elevations had some wet snowfall in the mix. And here is an example that was taken by Roberto. This was in Heritage Mountain. This great shot of some of the wet flurries and snow, Westwood Plateau and Brad, but what a difference it makes for higher elevations. And along uh, the mountains, local mountains, this one also taken by Brad, but this is Mount Seymour Parkway. Another great shot earlier today in Grouse Mountain from the cam camera there, as well as Cypress Mountain. And we saw earlier in the show with Paul as well, where we've had a significant amount of snow. Now for most areas across Metro Vancouver and closer to sea level, we are still looking at rain. It'll be waves this evening and then easing off overnight. The winds are picking up though for 
a few spots or it continues to be southeasterly sustained at 20. We do currently have gusts out of the airport over 30 kilometers per hour and those will start to ease off late overnight and leading in towards the morning hours. Now most areas still the chance for some rain higher elevations with that wet snowfall. It'll start to work its way that system for the eastern corners or southeastern corners of the province and there'll be a nice break as we get in towards the morning hours. So that's the timeline for Metro Vancouver clearing overnight. We'll be back into some sunshine but there's still a significant amount of snow especially for traveling along the mountain passes. Those amounts in just a moment. Overnight tonight though it is going to be chilly. We're down to three. It looks like we'll have a nice bright start to the morning and then a mainly sunny sky for tomorrow with highs up to nine degrees. Broken this down again where we've got that range. For tonight, additional snowfall amounts 10 and up to 15 along the Coquihalla, Kootenai Pass. Sea to Sky will be looking at snowfall and then a clearing on the way. And these are some of the amounts that we're anticipating for Monday with some of the heaviest snowfall, especially for the morning hours between 5 and up to 10 along the Coquihalla as well. Now, the northern half of the province could still see some rain at times. Inland, it'll be flurries changing over to showers. Much of the northeastern corners of the province will start to see a clearing on the way. Central interior underneath the partly cloudy sky. Area of concern, though, for the southeastern corners, Columbia and Kootenai with wet flurries changing over to showers. The instability is there for the afternoon with the risk of thunderstorms. Clearing, though, across the south coast will be into some sunshine. Temperatures will gradually start to bump up as well. We are going to see an increase in cloud cover on Tuesday, but still remaining dry through the day. Blip in the forecast so far will be on our Wednesday, and then we're back into some sunshine Thursday, Friday, and mild once again with highs up to 12. Colleen? Looking good. All right, thanks, Yvonne. An artist in central Russia paints other people's pets, cats and dogs, to raise money for animal shelters. And when you see his work, you may not believe he's only 10 years old. Pavel's interest in homeless animals started after his own cat died. Well, together with his mother, he found an animal shelter and started helping them. He posted his first painting to social media two years ago when he was eight. After that, People wanted portraits of their pets. Customers who asked Pavel to paint their pets brought food to the shelters in exchange. But the project has grown and he's now raising money for shelters right across Russia. Pavel doesn't call himself a professional artist. He says painting animals is just a way to help them. Aww. Impressive looking uh, paintings there. He's it's really not paint by number stuff. No. That's, that's art. Ten years old. I thought he was Pavel Burry, but not quite the same. <laughs> Almost the same size, though. Almost the same size, but very talented as well. <laughs> Barry, what do you have coming up? Well, Canada's got a new young tennis star who's a champion today after winning a tournament in Monterey. Leila Annie Fernandez, just 18 years old. Great future for her, so we'll have highlights of that. And uh, sport climbing is making its Olympic debut uh, this summer in Tokyo. And Team Canada is made up of a couple of North Vancouver friends who hope to make some history of their own. So Impressive. We'll have that story. If you're not familiar, Instagram is a popular social media platform that's all about photos and video. For the most part, it's less political and less hateful than other platforms, but it's hardly perfect. So now, Facebook, which owns Instagram, says it's taking measures to try to protect young users from online predators. Instagram is taking steps to protect teenagers from unwanted interactions with adults. The popular social media company announced it will use artificial intelligence to restrict adults from messaging teenagers if they don't follow each other. 
We're using machine learning to look at behavioral signals of how old someone is. Instagram will also use prompts to encourage teens to be cautious and make it harder for adults to find and follow them. People come to Instagram to connect with their family and friends. On CBS This Morning, Instagram's Carolyn Merrill stressed that the activity on the platform is overwhelmingly positive, but... Even in one of our latest reports, we saw that in over 10,000 pieces of content, five were potentially risky for teens. But five is too much, and that's why we're investing in even more technology to protect teens. A 2019 study found at least 20% of children reported being contacted by an online predator. It's estimated that there's maybe 500,000 predators online a day. Does that surprise you? Um, yes and no. The number, yeah, that's very scary to hear that, that, that there are people out there doing that. No, unfortunately, it doesn't surprise me. Instagram is also updating its parents' guide so that parents have the resources to help their children have a positive experience on the platform. Elise Preston, CBS News, New York. Barry's here with sports, and you've got a bunch of stories I really want to see, so I'm just going to let you get to All it. All right, we'll get to uh, those in a second. Just to update on the Canucks first, uh, thanks, Colleen. The Canucks do have the day off, but they get right back at it tomorrow night at Rogers Arena against the Winnipeg Jets. Those teams will play again Wednesday. And then the Canucks will get a seven-day break between games. That's when all the other teams in the division will make up those games in hand. Right now, Canucks are fifth, two points behind Montreal for fourth. But they would love to win the two versus the Jets and then hope for some help as we head down the stretch in the final seven weeks of the NHL regular season. All right, big tennis match for Montreal teenager Leila Annie Fernandez in Montreal in the finals against Switzerland's Victoria Golubic. 18-year-old Fernandez looking for her first ever tournament win, and she absolutely comes flying out of the gate already up a break, crafting the point beautifully here. Deep ground strokes, and then the put away at net breaks again to go up for love. She was dominant in the opening set. Big serve and a put away here. Takes the set 6-1 in just 37 minutes. Second set on serve. Fernandez chasing down the drop shot, hammers the two-fisted winner, four games all, and then she ups the pressure as she hits the big forehand winner down the line and gets the break of serve to go up 5-4. And now match point, Fernandez determined to end it, stays with it, and then coolly fires the winner into the open court. And 18-year-old Layla Annie Fernandez has her first WTA Tour-level title. The Monterey Open, 6-1-6-4, did not drop a set all week. What a performance. She'll move up to a career-high 69th in the WTA rankings. Now moves on to Miami, where a big Canadian contingent will compete at the Miami Open. NBA tonight, Raptors trying to snap a seven-game losing streak. Three games out of a playoff spot in the East, visiting Cleveland. Finally at full strength, trying to make a push. Second quarter, nice ball movement. Kyle Lowry from deep, but they were down at the break by two. Before the half, Norm Powell getting into it with the Cavaliers' Colin Sexton. Great. That should fire them up. Well, it fired them up all right. Cleveland. Sexton was motivated. Hits the three-pointer, and then he will drive and hit the tough shot. Sexton with 14 in the quarter, 36 in the game, and the Cavs led by 16 after three. Raps were down as many as 22, but credit them. They did make a big push. Stanley Johnson with the steal and dunk cuts it to six, and then under a minute to go, Fred Van Vliet in transition. Long three-pointer. It's a five-point game, but the Raps fall short. 116-105, and they have lost eight in a row. 
March Madness continuing south of the border. Great story here. Sister Jean's Loyola Chicago putting together another magical run. Made it to the final four at the 2018 tournament. And the sister, who's 101 years old, by the way, was the big story. Today they took it to number one seed Illinois. Big man Cameron Krutwig with the basket there. And then Lucas Williamson strong to the basket, lays it in. And then more from Crutwig and Sister Jean's Sunday prayers answered as the Ramblers take down the number one seed, Illini, in convincing fashion. 71-58, so they are off to the Sweet 16 with their good luck charm. FA Cup quarters, Chelsea meeting Sheffield United, 24th minute. Ben Chilwell with the uh, pass or shot, whatever it was, it's deflected in by Oliver Norwood for an own goal, 1-0 Chelsea. Chelsea, rather than in stoppage time, Hakeem Ziek will put this one away. Great first touch and finish. 2-0 the final. Chelsea onto the semis of the FA Cup where they'll meet uh, Manchester City. Also today, Leicester City beat Man United 3-1, so they'll take on Southampton in the other semifinal. Great Fruit League Baseball, Blue Jays and Yankees, Giosca Hernandez is going to go deep to right center. One of three solo homers on the day for the Jays. They lost 8-3. They're now 11-8 in exhibition play so far. The MLB regular season opens in just 11 days. Jays play at Yankee Stadium on April 1st. No fooling to open things up. NHL today, Penguins and Devils. Pittsburgh without Evgeny Malkin for the next few weeks with a lower body injury. So Sidney Crosby's going to have to step up the production. And he got the memo as he scores here to give the Pens a 1-0 lead. But that's all Pittsburgh got. Game went to overtime, tied at 1. Jesper Bratt on the wraparound is the game winner. Devils take it 2-1. The Pens get a point out of it. They're third in the East with 40 points. Four points behind first place, Washington. Final round of the Honda Classic from PGA National in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Adam Hadwin playing better golf of late. Got off to a great start, three birdies in his first four holes. Two under 68 today, finished at five under, tied for eighth, won himself 191,000. Roger Sloan finished at minus two, tied 25th and won 55,000. But Australian Matt Jones ran away with it, seals the deal with this delicate birdie putt at the 16th. Jones with a five-shot victory, finishing at 12-under, second career PGA Tour win for the 40-year-old Aussie. Well, sport climbing debuts as an Olympic event this summer in Tokyo. Canada will be represented by two very close friends from North Vancouver who hope they can make an historic climb to the top of the podium. If any sport embodies the Olympic motto of faster, higher, stronger, it's sport climbing. Many have tried it recreationally, but the best in the world take it to new heights. Sean McCall has been Canada's top sport climber for well over a decade. He's won the world championship four times, and he even made presentations to the IOC to help get the sport Olympic status. There are three events that make up sport climbing, sprint, bouldering and lead. They're all very unique, involving speed, strength and agility. When you combine all those three, they are looking for the most all-around climber. It does help if you can win event, an event, which I've won in speed and bouldering World Cups. So it's hard to say. If I have a good day, I can definitely be on the podium. Climbing has also led to some very unique opportunities, including four appearances on the very popular TV show American Ninja Warrior, where McCall showed his astounding athleticism to post a couple of wins. And Sean McCall does not have a lot of obstacle experience, but he is the top rock climber in the world. Being on American Ninja Warrior was, was awesome. You have one shot. If you fall off the course or make an illegal move, you, you're done. 
And so getting through those courses the first time like that, on TV, in front of the cameras, in front of all those people, is really, really hard. And so when I take it to climbing and I look at the different stages, uh, I'm ready for it and I hope I do well. McCall's close friend, Alana Yip, almost didn't make it to Tokyo, but on her very last attempt to qualify in early 2020, Yip found out something about getting the best out of herself in a high-pressure moment, which should come in handy during the Olympics. I just wanted to enjoy, because I would climb my best if I was happy, if I was calm and collected rather than nervous and, and gripped. So I was able to just, yeah, be calm. Yip is 27 years old and has a mechanical engineering degree from UBC. So that brain comes in handy in a sport like climbing where the route taken can make all the difference. And both she and her North Van neighbor are both more than thankful their route to the Olympics will be taken together. I've known Sean since the day I was born. Growing up, he was like an older brother to me. I looked up to him. Uh, I kind of brought her into climbing, and now we get to go to the Olympic Games together, so it's just nothing short of incredible. Well, some of the best stories, I'm sure you will agree, involve twists, turns, and often redemption. Well, this next story has it all. You're about to see an example of how it's never too late to do the right thing. Act 1, Scene 1. A farmhouse in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Getting lost in a good book is nothing new for Betty Diamond. It'll probably come later. It's such a beautiful bird. But losing track of a good book, that's another story. Once upon a time, a 10-year-old Betty rented out this book from Queens Public Library in New York. Now, nearly 63 years later, she finally gave it back. The reason I never returned it was that I had let it get overdue, and I was so embarrassed about that. My 10-year-old solution was, let's pretend it never happened. And so I ended up just keeping the book. After about seven years, quite honestly, if we haven't gotten a book back, we sort of put our hands up and say, we're never going to get it back. Nick Buren is the chief librarian at Queens Public Library. He says Betty didn't just return the book, but included a note explaining her story, along with a $500 check. Late fees at Queens Public Library cap at $15, no matter how late. It was more like, I really wanted to show my gratitude for the existence of the public library. But we had to ask, why return it now after all this time? I'd been thinking about it on and off for years. You know, I'd look at, see it on the bookcase and I go, I should probably return that. And then it, uh, there was no real reason other than um, I was having a conversation about, with um, some friends about making amends. And I went, I am going to return that book. It's just time. Buren promised to keep it in a special place. I have never heard of a book being returned 63 years later from the original borrower in such great condition. The ending to a special tale offering a timeless reminder. It's never too late to do the right thing. Oh, and by the way, she became an English teacher. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you get busy the next thing you know, 63 years go by. <laughs> well, truer than many of us are willing to admit. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. That's the news hour. Jordan's here at 11. Have a good night.